You're listening to our last best hope for peace. It's Geek Top 5! Yay! I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And we're bringing you the five top things that you gotta know about what's going on. Coming in right at the bottom, some casting news. Uh, good news in, sounds like we're going to be looking at Brie Larson. Brie Larson? Yep. Is it? Uh, to be playing either Captain or Miss Marvel, which... It's sort of parts of it that are running over my head. Graham, help me out with this. Okay, so Captain Marvel is who she'll be playing. She used to be Miss Marvel. In fact, she also used to be Warbird and Binary. Uh, (laughs) But the important parts are that she was Miss Marvel and was connected with the original Captain Marvel, and now she's taken on, well, scratch that, the original Marvel Captain Marvel. (laughs) Right. Uh, And now she's taken on the mantle for herself. So, the character debuted in 1968. She was kind of like a military attaché to the original Marvel Captain Marvel, who was a Kree warrior who uh, landed on Earth and used his Kree powers to help save the day. So, she was basically just a sidekick for like 10 years. And then she got her own superpowers, which were flight and super strength and all that good stuff. And then... uh, in the first appearance of Rogue, the X-Men character, Avengers Annual number 10, Rogue used her power right, power. She, she sucks the power out of people. Yeah. And that's, but she uses it on this character. Yeah. On this Miss or Captain Marvel character, depending on... At the time, on. it was Miss Marvel. Okay. <laughs> so she stole all of her power. That's why Rogue has always been able to fly and has have super strength. She stole it from Miss Marvel. So then a lot of time passed, she got different powers from different aliens, and then those powers got taken away, except for conveniently basically the exact same powers that she had before. That's like the residue, comic books, crazy stuff. <laughs> so then they were really trying to push her as Marvel's sort of answer to Wonder Woman. She was like the the iconic female superhero who held, had her own title that Marvel doesn't really have or hasn't had an equivalent to Wonder Woman ever. And so in the 2000s, they were trying to push that. And they they did it even more so by making her their Captain Marvel. And the whole copyright issue around Captain Marvel versus the Marvel and the DC one is a big part of that because they always have to have a Captain Marvel title being published in order to hold on to that trademark. So yeah, now she's Captain Marvel, and she's got all those same powers. She's uh, got a military background, super strong, fights. She's pretty cool, feminist icon. And she's gonna she's gonna have a movie, and she's gonna join the Marvel verse. Yeah, which is a big deal these days because there's already a lot of people in there. But you're right, not a lot of them are very you know powerful like iconic women. You know, yeah. there hasn't been a Black Widow movie. No, and even if there was, you know, she's basically it would be a spy movie and not a superhero movie. Yeah, her superpower is that she's Russian. Yeah, and that always seems. I mean, they give her cool electric stuff in yeah. the in the Avengers movies, but it doesn't quite hold up with like the cool robot suit or super soldier serum. Yeah. So this, we're finally going to see you know a powerful female Marvel character in her own movie, and Brie Larson cast as her now. I mean, you know, looking back, I'm a super dork, so I went, oh, that she played Envy in Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. But she sort of had her own thing going on for a while, right? Like, Yeah, well, she I got her start on a, a TV show called The United States of Terra. That's where a lot of people saw her. She was the daughter of the main character, and she did Scott Pilgrim, and uh, she's gotten a lot of attention recently because uh, she was in Room, which was a, a Best Picture frontrunner at the Oscars last year, and she, and, uh, she got a lot of... I think she won the uh, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actress, something like that. She won one of the biggies at the, the Oscars, and so she's got a lot of clout behind her. She's not what I would have had at the top of my mind when casting Captain Marvel. 
she's, you know, her most famous roles, she's not very athletic or, or like, even especially energetic. And this character is supposed to be this, like, super fit military person who's, you know, super strong. Be bouncing and flying all over the place yeah. and punching meteors. Yeah. I, the person I had my sights set on was the, the female lead from uh, the last Mission Impossible movie. I think her name's Rebecca Ferguson. She was great in that movie, and... She's got the right build and I think the right chops to pull off Captain Marvel. But, you know, I'm totally willing to see what Brie Larson can bring to it. If that uh, rumor ends up being true, it seems pretty substantial right now. It seems pretty solid. It's been confirmed by multiple sources. Yeah. Um, I think everything's done except for the actual press release. Um, Now, this is another one of those Marvel characters I don't know very much about. I've never read any. The only Captain Marvel I've read is the DC Marvel that's now Shazam. Yeah. Which is why I couldn't even figure out who this character was at first. And I think there is going to be a lot of confusion about that because around the same time that this movie comes out, there's a Shazam movie in the works. Oh, dear. Yeah. So there will be two Captain Marvels, except one of them won't be able to call their movie Captain Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see how that pans yeah. out. Now, do we know anything about the movie? Like, do we know who her antagonist is going to be? Do we know how they're going to tie it into the big thing? I don't think we know any of that stuff yet, but one of the uh, things that would be uh, handy about that character is because she's got some pretty strict ties to uh, the Avengers and to Earth in the comic book source material, she can tie into that community, but she also has a lot of space-based stuff and has actually even recently been a member of the Guardians of the Galaxy in the comic book. Ah, okay, right. Yeah. And, and so with all the Kree stuff that maybe could come into it, she could join in there. Yeah, and the Thanos stuff. She's got, uh, she's, she could be a bridging mechanism between the two sides of the yeah. Marvel Universe. Yeah, if right you consider now. it like the Earth-based superhero side and the space-based, they call that their cosmic yeah. level. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that makes sense. So she'll do her thing, she'll fight whoever it is who's the villain of the week, and then they'll tie her into Infinity War, that way it probably is the middle ground. Yeah. Which will also be good, putting a female character into a more, you know, a more central role than just being like Hawkeye's sidekick. Yeah, or Tony's girlfriend. (laughs) We'll see more about that as it goes. Yeah. Captain Marvel, we'll look forward to it coming soon. Definitely. See, I wonder, are they actually going to call it Captain Marvel? Or Yeah, pretty sure. This pretty one sure. will be the Captain Marvel movie. Yeah. Okay, and Captain Marvel himself will be in another movie. Yeah, will be the Shazam. Shazam. Yeah. Ah, comic books. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's rotate it up. Let's up to number four. Right into the world of video games. Um, announcements came out about the Xbox One. There's some expected news and some news that's just grinding my gears. Uh, We're going to be looking at two new versions of the Xbox One console over the next two years. Uh, And the first one that's going to be out later in 2016 is the Slim one. This has been happening for a while. They release a console. Two years later, the technology gets way better, and they release a more efficient, tinier one. It happened with the Xboxes. It happened with the PlayStation 3. Those of you who got it back in the day, remember the original PlayStation 3 was basically a barbecue. It was this huge curved thing. They released a smaller one. And that's and that happens. It's kind of a pain if you have the older one, but whatever. What's changing, though, is that next year they're releasing a new Xbox One. Uh, the, the rumor title for this one is called Xbox Scorpio. I'm sure it's just a code name. Yeah, it's basically Xbox 1.5. Yeah, but that's the key. That .5 this machine will actually be more powerful than the previous Xbox One. This is a problem to me. Yeah. Um, If you're playing video games, traditionally you've had two options. You could be a PC gamer, a personal computer gamer, or a console gamer. 
The advantages are if you're gaming on your computer, you have to buy an expensive computer. You're going to drop like 2000 bucks on this. But that computer will last for a while, and over the years, as the games get fancier and you need to upgrade your computer, you spend a hundred bucks on another video card or a hundred bucks on you know a little bit more RAM, that sort of thing. The downside being that you're constantly installing new equipment and downloading drivers and setting up graphics profiles. Like you constantly have to work yeah. on this thing, which some people really like. I was really into it as a kid. Heck, I remember back when I was a kid, we had to buy faster CD drives. (laughs) Right. And I think think that's sort of the thing. It it was sort of a thing that we kept up with when we were kids. Yeah, it was a hobby thing. Yeah. Now, the alternative is the consoles, where you run out and you buy a PlayStation. And when you want to play a game, you buy a game and you put it in the PlayStation and it plays on your TV. Mm -hmm. Now, very quickly, computers will be more powerful than that PlayStation. But you're never going to have to mess with it. If a game comes out that you like, it'll run on it and you're done. But not anymore. Now they're releasing these iterative consoles. Like, this news about the Xbox One, like, it's the first sort of hard notice we've had. But I think a couple months ago, news came out about the PlayStation 4 is getting a PlayStation 4.5. Yeah. The PlayStation Neo, they're starting to call it. And it's like, so all of a sudden, you know, all this, like, I dropped all the money for this equipment. It's only going to be, it's only going to work for a year and a half. And then I have to buy another one. That seems ridiculous to me. It's they're, they're, they're calling it like an iterative system. And the obvious comparison is like with smartphones and tablets. Yeah. How people tend to upgrade every year. I, I think even that is slowing down. Like even the hardcore Apple people aren't doing the upgrade every year as much as they used to. Because at this point, the upgrades aren't that noticeable. And I think that the numbers for... Uh, Macintosh and Apple and those guys are, are going down as far as what their sales are on these new versions. And I think that's what's going to happen with these, you know? I, I'm not going to shell out $500 every year so I have the latest, greatest PlayStation. Right, but suppose you buy the PlayStation and two years later a game comes out that'll only run on the new PlayStations. See, that's the trick. These yeah. companies, like they're, they're promising, they call it backwards and forwards compatibility. If you buy a game, like, yeah, maybe the game won't run as well on your older PlayStation. It'll still run. This is what they're saying, but everything they've done so far has proved that that's horse hockey. <laughs> um, back when these new, this generation of consoles launched, there was a period where we were looking at releases on both. Like a, a game would release for the PlayStation 3 and for the PlayStation 4, not the same game. Uh, Shadow of the Mordor, for for instance, the big thing about it was its nemesis system, was its procedurally generated sort of rivalry system. Right, it's what the game is known for. It's what it's famous for. It's what it won awards for. That system isn't. That system doesn't exist on the PlayStation Three version. Ah, it's gone. It's missing. Huh. And like another good example, Nintendo. Like Nintendo's already been all over this for years. When they released like the old Nintendo DS, they released four different models of it in four years. The 3DS now, they have a 3DS, the 3DS XL, which is a bigger one, and the new 3DS, yes, that's the only name they gave it, the new 3DS, which is more powerful, and there's stuff you can get for the new 3DS that doesn't work on the old 3DS. Ah. For some reason, their virtual console library, they'll sell you Super Nintendo games on it only on the new 3DS, not on the old one. Do you think they could have done it on the old one? Absolutely. It's a Super (laughs) Nintendo emulator. Super Nintendo came out in 1991. Right. Yeah, it's got the hardware. (laughs) But they've chosen to sell the new hardware by making the old hardware obsolete. Hmm. It's infuriating. It absolutely makes me tear my hair out. Um, And that sort of seems to be the general reaction 
Everyone, like, everyone has seen this behavior before. We yeah. know they're messing with us. It was back in the day, you know, if I had MechWarrior 2 and you had MechWarrior 2 and we have two, two different computers, they might look a little different when we played them. One of the joys or, or conveniences of the consoles was that if I was playing Star Fox on my Nintendo 64 and you were playing it on your Nintendo 64, it would look exactly the same. We'd get the same experience. The same experience would look the same, play the same, work right. the same. Yeah, exactly. I mean, sure, maybe my Mech Warrior 2 looked a little better than yours, but that's because I spent 50 extra bucks on the video card and then downloaded the the special drivers. Right. And, you know, like, it just, and I had to go through all this effort. I'm, like, old, I'm older now. I don't have the time to do that. Yeah. I've got an hour and a half of free time every day. I spend some of it doing other stuff. I have maybe 45 minutes. So I want to play a video game. I don't want to download drivers. I don't want to install a video card. I, that's why I buy a console. And if I am going to start down that route of getting uh, of, of getting a gaming system that I'm constantly going to need to upgrade, I might as well just do it with a computer. Exactly. That's the argument. The only advantage the consoles had is that they were easy and always worked. Right. And now they won't. It's so like... why would I bother? I can hook my computer up to a TV. I can hook a gaming controller into my computer. I will have the same experience, you know? If you're going to force me to, to constantly upgrade stuff, I'll just upgrade what I've already got. Yeah. And it's one central machine. Yeah. I don't have to worry about if I have the right console or if I have the right brand or if I have the right whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, Sony releases games for the PlayStation and the computer. Microsoft releases their games for the Xbox and the computer. It sounds like they've deliberately decided to swallow a revolver and pull the trigger. I don't know why. Uh, we're going to find out more about it in two or three weeks at E3, mm. uh, the Electronic Entertainment Expo, where they will tell us all about their weird decisions. Um, we'll have to see then, but for now, that looks just absolutely crazy. Yeah. Number three, uh, Gillian Anderson has been cast to join the cast of the American Gods television show. She'll be playing media, um, which is a double whammy in terms of news, because first off, Gillian like Scully, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think he was a great fit for the character. But more importantly, it's just an excuse for us to talk about this television show on this podcast. Yeah, so American Gods is a great novel that came out a few years ago. Yeah, 2001. Uh, and it was written by Neil Gaiman, who's like a geek god these days. He is best known to my people, the comic book people, as the writer of Sandman, a 75-issue series that launched DC's sort of mature reader line, Vertigo. And it's fantastic. Great read from beginning to end. He started doing novels that are, are just great. It's just yeah. so full of imagination. And He's American good. Gods is is like the pinnacle of his work, I think. One of the best. Yeah. And you know, some people look more common enthusiasts may recognize like he's been writing writing for Doctor Who yeah. and for all these. He's really gotten out there into the geek verse. He wrote but, uh, Babylon 5 as well, an right. episode of some, that. Some Babylon 5. Some of us watched that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, but American Gods is what the book that got me into Neil Gaiman. It's um, without going into too much detail because if you haven't read it, you really should. But it's basically it's talking about the world, about like what's happened to the old gods, the gods of the Bible and mythology, how like what's happening to them now that they're not that popular anymore, and what's happening with new gods, you know, gods of credit cards, gods of television, gods of the things that we seem to worship nowadays. Yeah, gods of PlayStation Four. Yeah, into our previous story. Um, in this case, the, one of the characters, one of the new gods, is media. Literally, like you know the you know the streams of information that come in through you. In the book, she's portrayed as like you know everyone's favorite television anchor, right? But she manifests herself through television celebrities and stuff. Casting Gillian Anderson for that—that that sounds fantastic. She, yes, she, like doing a creepy, 
I, uh, it's hard to describe without spoilers. We're going to skip over, but you have to get into it. But this book is a, such a fun way to look at science fiction and fantasy and mythology. And the fact that they're bringing it into television is fantastic news. Uh, I think it was 2014 that they made the announcement that they're making it for stars yeah. with, a, with a Z, like, along with Siffy being another television network <laughs> that never bothered to learn how to spell. <clears throat> hey, they got to stand out. You know? Yeah, I suppose. Zeds are edgy and cool. Yeah. Uh, with Brian Fuller and Michael Green behind it. So I don't know much about Michael Green, but Brian mm-hmm. Fuller it, it was the showrunner on Hannibal, and he's also conveniently the showrunner on the new Star Trek series. Uh. And they'll both the new Star Trek series and uh, American Gods are going to be shot in Toronto, so that's pretty cool. Right. You might see him around, and it, I, like, it sounds like Brian Fuller's got a... Get some some real estate here because Hannibal was shot in Toronto too. It's a, he's he's a big fan, I guess. <laughs> it's always good to have local city boys you know, yeah. doing the, the sort of thing that we like to watch. <laughs> and he's he's got a great track record. I'm looking forward to see what he does with this. Uh, they've already said they they want to make it sort of an ex, an extensive series, and you know, one novel you might be able to get two three seasons out of it. But they're also going to be bringing in stuff from another Neil Gaiman novel called The Nancy Boys. And uh, yeah. just to, to flesh it out a bit, another uh, God-related uh, story by Neil Gaiman. So, And Neil Gaiman's involved, which is also good to hear. Might end up writing some episodes. Other people that they've cast are Ian McShane from Deadwood and a bunch of other stuff. He's fantastic. I cannot wait to see him. He's going to be playing Mr. Wednesday, who's sort of like a yeah. mentor to the main character. There's also Emily Browning from Lemony Snicket and Sucker Punch. Crispin Glover, who's best known as Crispin Glover. He's just <laughs> pretty much. Fantastic and weird. And there's also Cloris Leachman. Stars has an interesting track record with uh, with TV shows. They're not like HBO or AMC where they've got a lot of big prestige titles, but they've got sort of good second-tier series like Boss, a sort of short-lived Kelsey Grammer TV show, and Da Vinci's Demons. They, they're doing uh, Ash vs. the Evil Dead, which I haven't seen yet, but man. That's yeah, it's, it's Evil Dead. It's got to be good. Yeah. And uh, Blunt Talk with Patrick Stewart, which I've seen a bit of. It's okay. It's uh, you know, I'll see anything with Patrick Stewart. Right, yeah. It gets a free pass. Yeah. Um, but the point is that, so when you think about big epic television shows like this, you think about HBO, you think about you know, Breaking Bad, about uh, Game of Thrones, about yeah. that. Stars is sort of coming at it from an oblique angle, mm-hmm. but they've got such great content to work with here. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be a very traditional television show if they keep it even remotely close to the book, which, to be fair, it sounds like they are from yeah. the characters being cast. Like, even some of the more minor characters, like Bilkis, are being cast, right. which, who didn't actually have that big a role, but... Part of the book is that there are some asides to the main story that give you more of a like a worldview of what's happening in that world. You might meet some characters whose story starts and ends in one chapter, but what happens to them affects the greater whole. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it gives them a lot of room to do stuff like this in the television show, and it's like there's so much potential. Yeah, for it to be it fantastic, be like cool one-off episodes where the main cast you don't see them much, but there's this neat one-off story that will affect the greater narrative, but right. can be a solo thing. Yeah, I saw somebody was cast as the Jin, so the taxi right. driver's story. Right, like that that's a complete <laughs> one-off. Yeah. Part of the bigger picture. Like, that's a whole thing that they could do. And that's, like, one of the more memorable parts of the novel. There's, like, one-off scene, but it's it's pretty, uh, pretty impactful. Yeah. I, again... If you haven't read this book, I mean, it's been out in paperback forever, and there's even a, like, a, a, whatever you got, a director's cut edition, kind of, with some extra stuff in there that's, 
It's not crucial, but if you want to go get it, now is the time. This is a fantastic read. It's a lot of fun. It's a mystery. It's an adventure. It's sci-fi fantasy. It's it's this whole thing. And you don't just take that from me. It's won awards. It's won the Hugo. It's won the Nebula. Like, this is a big deal. Yeah, prestigious <laughs> stuff. And with the creator involved in it, that's usually a good sign. Having Neil Gaiman on board will make sure they stay faithful. And uh, like I said, Brian Fuller's got a great track record. Can't wait to see uh, how they do it. So, number two, uh, going from things that fans are delighted to hear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To not being delighted to hear from fans, I think. I don't think uh, the phrase Hail Hydra has ever elicited quite this response before. Yeah, it was a fun internet meme for a while <laughs> after uh, Age of Ultron. No, so Captain America, number one, which, don't worry about it. This is the way they title comic books. They're always number one. Yeah. They've started another Captain America story. Spoiler alert if you haven't been on Twitter for the last couple of weeks. <laughs> In this story, Captain America apparently is working for Hydra. Yeah, so, I mean, Marvel is known for not really rebooting their characters and their universe quite as much as DC does. DC, every uh, 10 or 15 years, seems to do, like, a little reset, so the continuity is a little more up-to-date. Seems like 10 or 15 months with DC, but... These days, yeah. yeah, yeah. But that's another issue. <laughs> but Marvel tends to just sort of adjust on the fly, and, and little tweaks happen that don't affect the greater narrative, but just to update the characters. Like, most people don't know that Mr. Fantastic and The Thing were actually are veterans of World War II. They just sort of stop mentioning it. Yeah, because it doesn't make any sense because yeah, it was so yeah. long ago. They don't have any reason to be that old, and so they just sort of stop mentioning mm. it. So, yeah, no, they keep updating this. Yeah. You know, like, like Iron Man, that, you, that used to happen in, in like, I think it used to happen in Korea. Korea, yeah. Then it was Vietnam, then it was the Middle East, like, just to keep the things updated. So yeah. they update these things, and every once in a while there are twists. Like, you know, like, remember No More Mutants? Yeah. Now, all the mutants are gone. No, they weren't. This kind of thing happens in comic books. It's yeah. a story. Well, this twist has been that Captain America apparently is, has been a member of HYDRA all along. It's been a super secret. And when this was first revealed, we talked about mentioning this on the podcast, and we said, you know what, it's just a dumb twist. It's going to be resolved in a couple issues. It's not, it's not worth the space. It doesn't, it's, not, it's not Geek Top 5 worthy. Yeah. It's and like maybe Geek Top, top 6. Maybe. And then Twitter went insane. Yeah. People have been calling out that, oh, this is anti this thing, it's anti-Semitic. Which is a huge stretch. Yeah. Um, listen, okay, quick aside. For those of you who are comic book fans, obviously Kobik has changed reality, <laughs> right? And that like, it's clear that some of those shared from the Cosmic Cube. It might even have been Red Skull's Cube. So clearly history has been rewritten and it's going to get reset. So if you're following and you don't follow that, like, pay attention. Yeah. For the rest of you who aren't... Anyway, sorry, that is... Aside, <laughs> This is just a dumb twist, and it's going to turn out to be for a reason, and it's going to get resolved, and he will be a good guy again. Now, it's just, it's like a cliffhanger on a television show. Right. I hesitate to say it's a dumb twist. I'd, I want to see how it plays out. You know, a, a lot of people thought bringing Bucky back was a dumb twist. Turned out to be one of the best decisions Marvel made. Yeah, Winter Soldier is cool. Yeah. Uh, but what's, what's about the... Whether or not this is a cool twist, the reaction to it has been insane. Mm -hmm. People have been, you know, like, I mean, people send death threats for everything on the internet these yeah. days. But people are furious, like, how dare you disrespect Captain America's Jewish creators by making him a Nazi? It's like, listen, it's not, that's not what's happening. Yeah. 
What, what's, what's happening is just a strange plot arc that's going to get resolved in a comic book. Yeah. This stuff doesn't stick. No. It's a comic book. Yeah. Like, like These characters die and come back all the time. Before Captain was a Nazi now, like the last one, like he had lost his powers and got aged again. Yeah. He was, so was super old and couldn't be Captain America anymore. And this twist with Hydra seems to be related after he was magically de-aged by a potentially villainous construct. It's like... And, like, and for, I mean, further in history, Captain America was a werewolf. Yeah. He was Cap Wolf. It was uh, in his second issue by those original creators that are supposedly being disrespected. He dresses as Bucky's grandmother to infiltrate something. Captain America is in old lady makeup, and it's just part of the story. I, like, I don't think the creators took it nearly as seriously as people think they did. Yeah. You know, it was just a way to make some money, just a way to have a cool cover. And let's be honest, Marvel's looking for a good twist right now because DC's launching their big famous Rebirth event. You can read some about that on the website or a guest post blog by Kylie Beckberger. Yeah. Come and read it. It's interesting. But So Marvel wants something interesting to get people in. So they said, hey, here's a cool idea. What if Cap was a bad guy? Yeah. This was nuts. It's like everyone was talking about that the DC Rebirth issue leading up to that night. There were, stores were opening at midnight so that people could go in and get them. Like As soon as it turned Wednesday, as soon as the clock hit Wednesday, they were getting their DC Rebirth. The next day, no one was talking about that anymore. It was all about Hail Hydra, Cap's a traitor, blah, blah, blah. It's insane. I can't... I, I'm still boggled at it. Yeah, and pe- it's not that people are shocked, like, wow, what a twist for the character. It's how dare the authors yeah. do this horrible thing. Why, why wouldn't they dare? It's their character who doesn't really exist, yeah. and they'll change him back later. We all know they will. They always do. I don't understand the outrage around this. There, there seems to be, like, two camps to this. And this is a broad generalization. There are people who fit into either category. There are the, the uh, there seems to be a group of comic book fans who read it constantly and see it as very disrespectful to the character and disrespectful to the creator. And to them, I say, you know, Captain America fought uh, uh, Ronald Reagan, who'd been turned into a snake man. He's been a werewolf. There's been all sorts of stuff with him. He was hypnotized into being a Nazi. An actual Nazi, not Hydra. Actually with the swastika. That happened. That happened. Uh, So the character is inherently silly. Like, as much as you love him, and as much as there are great stories with him, there's a lot of silliness that goes with it. And you just have to... There's no disrespect intended. It's just a fictional character. And this is another cool story. The other side of it is that there are people who don't read the the comics, who are just aware of the character from movies and stuff, and the movies seem to have a bit more, like, the consequences are a bit more permanent. And so they hear the Cap's Hydra, and they lose their minds, because that means Chris Evans is going to be Hydra, and, and that's wrong, and I don't, this is my favorite character, and how dare they? It's like a totally different thing. It's a different Captain America. It's a different universe. It's like, just if, if you know, Daniel Craig's James Bond... What he does has no impact on Sean Connery's James Bond. Yeah. Or things. on Britain, for or that on matter. Britain. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, again, like, it's, this is so not news. Mm-hmm. This is just something that's happening in, in the comic book that will get resolved. I can't, the only reason we're talking about it is because other people are talking about it, and I can't see why they don't see yeah. all this silly stuff. God, I mean, do you remember Onslaught? Yeah. We killed all the Marvel heroes except the X Men. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then they got reborn, and then that turned out to be Franklin Richards' yeah, his, imagination. In his, in his dream palace. They were all stored there, yeah. and then they all came out again. It, just It's comic books, you know? They are always writing themselves into corners and twists, and they write themselves out of yeah. it. And I guarantee you, the end of this, where he's not Hydra, has already been written. Yeah. I guarantee you, the arc is already in place. This would not have been published if the author hadn't explained exactly what he was doing to the to the editor and publisher. They yeah. know what's happening. They're not going to kill off the character just for just for this. My, you, listen, Geek Top 5, <laughs> to you, Internet, we love you, but you're flying off the handle. Chill out. Yeah, take it down. The, just take it down. Number one, tricky because news is still coming out and we're still trying to figure out what's solid and what's not. Um, for sure, what is solid is that Star that Rogue One, a Star Wars story. I can't get over that title. <laughs> I'm, you know what? I'm calling it Star Wars Rogue One. Sure, yeah. Star yeah. Wars Rogue One is going in for reshoots, which has two very different camps and both have good points. The first camp is that, well, that's just part of the filmmaking process. Of course, you do reshoots to fill in anything. You know, once you put, got it into editing, you see a few things are missing. Totally normal. Mm-hmm. The other side of it is sort of the Suicide Squad reshoots things, where it's like where you've watched it and realized it's not such a good movie, and maybe you need to change things around. That's speculation. That, I... Which is all, this is all, <laughs> except for the, let me make that clear, except for the fact that there are reshoots happening, Yeah, it's all speculation. Right. But what's happening is people are really nervous, like, you know, the, the worst case scenario, Chicken Little interpretation of this is that the movie isn't very good and Disney's not very happy. Or maybe even Disney's trying to wrestle creative control away and they want to change the movie. There's not much time left and they need to reshoot a bunch of it. One of the rumors, and again, this rumor was completely shot down. But one of the rumors said that they're going to be reshooting 40% of the movie. And they, they stamped right on down on that and yeah. said, that's ludicrous. There's no way to reshoot 40% of a movie without... Without stopping production on the movie, that's insane. Yeah, but people are nervous and are coming up with all kinds of reasons why would they be doing reshoots? There's a million reasons. You this, get more close-ups. You, you tweak a line here or there. There's a million reasons to do reshoots. Yeah. But neither side looks like they're telling the whole story. So, for right. instance, a lot of the like insiders, I think this is what's coming from EW, were talking about how no, 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 this is just it's about character development. It's more, in, you know, more um, interested stuff. He was saying like it's a lot of talking in cockpits, you know, just extra lines. On the other hand, they've hired a stunt coordinator. <laughs> it's uh, you know, energetic uh, talking is what it is. It, so it, it seems like we're not getting the full story from either side. Now, of course. If there are problems with the movie and there need to be some changes made, they don't want that leaking out to the press. Of course, they wouldn't tell us. Right. Um, on the other hand, it was just regular reshoots that they were just doing normally anyway. They also wouldn't want to tell us because it's really none of our business. They're in the right. middle of making a movie. Now, one of my little concerns that has been in the back of my head since day one is that the director, Gareth Edwards, I believe, he did the Godzilla remake that came out a few years ago, which... Got a lot of critical praise, but I don't think a lot of the general audience really got what they wanted from that movie. It's like, I guess it's it's pretty deep as far as a monster movie goes, but it was pretty light on action, which is what you want in a Godzilla movie. Like, yeah. I don't the, necessarily want people talking about the, the symbology of Godzilla and what he means to the world. You see Godzilla fighting other monsters and crushing buildings. Yeah. So... That being said, I mean, maybe, I don't know. Maybe his directorial choices, maybe they wanted to change around some stuff. We don't know. 
Disney's got a pretty great track record, you know. Say what you will about them and their their TV shows and and their you know taking control of the whole pop culture universe, but they know what they're doing, and I'm willing to. Uh, to give them the benefit of the doubt here, it does feel sort of like they might be taking some creative control away from the director, but ultimately, if it makes a better Star Wars movie, I can live with that. Mm. Now, the thing is, whenever anyone hears anything about Disney taking creative control, they assume they're going to make it light and fluffy, because they're Disney, and they have that rep. Unjustly, because they've done some really cool stuff. Yeah. I mean, like, even stuff that's family friendly, but like stuff like here, a Tron, Tron Legacy. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's family friendly, but it has some deep themes in it. That was mm-hmm. a pretty heavy movie. And don't forget, Disney also owns Miramax and they own Touchstone, they own the ABC network. Yeah. They know how to do grown up stuff. Yeah. You don't need to worry about them putting Mickey Mouse in it. Yeah. Um, now, and really, like, what we've seen from Rogue One from that trailer is that, like, they're saying, like, this isn't as. Adventury as you know, as the actual Star Wars trilogy, right? As Force, like Force Awakens was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a war film, and that's the actual quote they use. This is okay. a war film. This is like this is about heavy stuff. I don't think you need to worry about them changing that. Like if you saw the tone of that trailer, yeah, you know there weren't a lot of you know smiling goofy ha-has. <laughs> not a lot of high fives. Yeah. But it's reshoots, and you know, it has people nervous. It's like like we were saying, like the Suicide Squad one I mentioned earlier. Like, yes, it's speculation, but a lot of sources have come out and said, like, you know, they released the first trailer for Suicide Squad, and it didn't get received well. They released the second one, the Bohemian Rhapsody one, and yeah. everyone loved it. But the story going around is that every joke that was in the movie was in that trailer. Yeah. And now that they've seen such a positive reaction to it, they're going to go add some jokes. Which... I'm okay with it. I'm fine with that, too. Yeah. The fact of the matter is, if they need to reshoot a movie because it's going to make it better, do that. Yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that's the goal all the time, but sometimes you get something like uh, Fantastic Four, where the reshoots are so obvious. It's like, in most of the scenes, Sue Storm has uh, her real hair, and then you can tell she's wearing a wig in some scenes. It's just like the worst wig you've ever seen. And that's what you call bad reshoot. Well, yeah. I mean, the term reshoot implies that it's being rushed. Right. And it's a last-minute thing. And that, and as a consequence of those, it implies that there are problems. And people love... People. I love Star Wars so much that it makes me nervous. Right. I don't want there to be any problems. <laughs> I want everything to be wonderful because Star Wars... Um, in any case... Whatever's happening with Rogue One, um, honestly, it still looks good to me. They're still keeping the release date. Everything seems like it's on track. I, yeah. in this one, I, yes, I admit I'm biting my fingernails. I don't like hearing that there might be problems, but it sounds like there might not be problems. <laughs> so, you know, everyone just hang in there. All right. In any case, that was the news for this this edition of Geek Top Five. But we'll be right back with our guest segment. So be sure to stay tuned. We'll talk to you momentarily. Welcome to the second half of this episode of Geek Top 5. Today, Geek Top 5. We are joined by director extraordinaire, Mr. Brad Dworkin. Hey guys, how's it going? And he's brought us a list about uh, Hollywood miscasting. Yeah, I mean, okay, so yeah, I am a film director, and I just, I want to preface this by saying we're not out to get anybody with this list. I don't want to say, like, this is anyone's fault, there's so many things that go into casting a movie. You know, it's not like who's best for the role always. There's there's other factors. 
who's going to bring in the, the the audiences is often a factor, right? Sure, yeah. or or who is who is insurable. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's some actors that are like you just can't make a movie with them. For a long time, Robert Downey Jr. was that you couldn't yeah. put him in a movie because you literally wouldn't be able to get your funding. So sometimes you have to just go with a safer actor who's maybe not the best choice. Or uh, yeah, I mean, money's the the ultimate factor in a lot of casting decisions. Right. In the end, there's no one to blame. With that being said, let's list five people by name. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Number Um, five. So number five on the list, we're going to go with um, Topher Grace uh, as Venom in Spider-Man 3, I want to say. Yeah, Spider-Man 3. It was uh, Sam Raimi directed, the last Sam Raimi directed Spider-Man before he went off to other things and we got the Mark Webb Spider-Man. Yeah, the amazing Spider-Man. Right. Uh, Which was not that amazing. All yeah. things considered, but that's another, that's a story for another time. Yeah. Anyway, so Venom, what a fantastic, awesome character. Eddie Brock, yeah, rival reporter at the uh, the Daily Bugle, turns into Venom, bonds with this symbiote alien thing. From so cool, yeah, awesome, and I convoluted mean, origin, but a cool character who's like the absolute opposite evil version of Spider-Man. Yeah. Right. If Spider-Man ever had a cool evil twin, yeah. this is like, if Spider-Man was a bad guy, yeah. that was Venom. And really, if Peter Parker was a bad guy, that's Eddie Brock. Like, But the problem is, they explored the dark Spider-Man in that movie, and we got dancing emo Spider-Man out I of it. I will defend Spider-Man 3 more than anyone else, I think, will ever defend it. Yeah, because you're on the take. You have to be. <laughs> I just think... If you look at it from the perspective of B-movie director Sam Raimi, that is the B-moviest out of all of them. You know, the dancing Spider-Man stuff, where its main faults do lie is that there's way too many villains and way too many story arcs competing for screen Sure, yeah. I mean, this is a packed movie, right? I mean, you've got the Sandman was in it, right? Yeah. And you've got... Who's the other villain? Green Goblin. Green Goblin. Green Goblin 2. Yeah. Yeah. But the focus of this, like... Everyone was waiting for Venom since the first Spider-Man movie. That's it. I mean, you look at the comics, and Eddie Brock is pretty big, burly-looking guy, and they ended up going with someone who probably would have actually made a decent Peter Parker, actually. It was, you know, it's Eric Foreman from that 70s show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they, they just, instead of like, making Peter Parker's rival like a cool guy to Peter Parker's not cool guy, they just went with an even whinier... Even more boring, even more irritating character. And then they made him the focus. They barely did any Venom stuff. Right. It was mostly just Eddie Brock. I don't think you only see the full, like, Venom head in one or two shots. Yeah, I think they kind of did this thing where there's, like, little bits of Venom kind of sticking onto the sides of his face, but it's yeah. still, like, maybe it was in his contract. Like, Topher Grace is like, I need everyone to see me. Mm-hmm. I think that, I mean, that's a problem in all of the Sam Raimi Spider Man movies. The characters are constantly taking their masks off. And it's to show the characters' faces and let you see them emote and stuff, but it it ends up being kind of silly. Like, everyone has seen Peter Parker's face in those movies. I mean, it just keeps getting worse. I just watched the new one, The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Yeah. Again, a movie I will defend, but go on. Yeah, um, there's literally a scene where he, like, Peter Parker shows up at his university graduation in full cap and gown with the Spider-Man mask on. Like, just out in a park in public with hundreds of people around, and he realizes and goes, whoops, and pulls it off. Like, no one saw him in this one moment. Right. I think he actually swung into the scene as well. I mean, those are all issues, but specifically with Venom in this one, it's just, 
like Venom is an aggressive character. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like that's his whole. I mean, he's mostly a bad guy. That's his thing. And th- th- the actor just couldn't carry it. I don't know if he was directed not to. Like maybe he, like Raimi's vision was of a whinier, loserier Venom. <laughs> yeah, it's like maybe there's like a contrast. Like you just you look so awesome that we gotta just make you just the worst, just the most annoying person out there. So my take on my. Some of the behind-the-scenes scuttlebutt is that Sam Raimi didn't want Venom. He wanted it to be a Sandman movie, because Sandman was one of his favorite villains growing up. And the studio guys were like, well, all the young people want to see Venom. And so it was sort of a compromise to have both. And maybe that's why neither of them sort of worked out well. But I, I think if it had been a solely Venom-focused villain movie, like like Spider-Man versus Venom, it could have been interesting to have Topher Grace as, like, what if the wrong person had gotten Spider-Man's powers. He's so much like uh, Peter Parker, but he's... Without the moral compass. Kind right, of. Yeah. 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 It could have been an interesting contrast, but because there's so much going on in that movie, it never really developed. It's the same thing with the Green Goblin thing. Like, they've bungled that story because they just throw it into the middle of everything else yeah. over and over again. So Number four. Keeping with the superhero thing. Milieu. Yeah. Uh, George Clooney... Mm. Uh, bat bat nipples. <laughs> George Clooney is bat nipples. Now, here's the defense of this one. It was a bad casting choice in a world of bad choices. Right. You know what I mean? Like it was bad choice after bad choice after bad choice, and he was just in the middle of it. I, I mean, look, anybody calls you up and says, "I want you to be Batman." You're not going to say no, this, even if yeah, he maybe is, thought this might not be right for me. He's like, "When am I ever going to get a chance to play Batman again?" Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we went for it, and you know, I, I, you know, I do feel bad for him being put in that position of being, arguably the one of the worst Batman right. uh, portrayals. And again, it's a mishmash of, of errors, right? Like George Clooney didn't come in there saying, "I want nipples on my bat suit." Yeah, I don't that's want, not his fault. I no. don't want it to be a campy, you know, modernized throwback to the Adam West Batman. I don't think that was his decision. I think mm-hmm. he actually the, he, he said in an interview. That when he got there and saw the nipples in the bat suit, he went, "Well, of course they have nipples. Every bat suit has had nipples." He he actually like there was like a confirmation bias thing that <laughs> happened where he was like, "I'm not going to say anything because I'm sure this is just always how it's been, and I'm not going to rock the boat." Right. But why would you think that? I don't know. I mean, again, like you've mm-hmm. got like Arnold Schwarzenegger playing freeze in this movie like a scientist. Well, yeah, it was. Like, yeah, you know, there's, a, there's a world of bad decisions. It was a very silly movie, and but. Go, I, go for it. I just, I feel like there's two ways you can go with that. Like, either you go with, either you go with Michael Keaton or the Christian Bale, like, dark Batman. Affleck. Or you go with the Adam West Batman. Yeah. Clooney, I think, couldn't quite go to either extreme. Mm-hmm. Like, I can sort of see him doing Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. You yeah. Know, He'd be a great Bruce Playboy Wayne. billionaire? Yeah. He's got that. No, for sure. But he wasn't dark enough to be dark Batman, and he wasn't silly enough to be silly Batman. Right. He just like, ended up, like, like, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze is, in this movie, kind of a good casting choice, because he's over the top and ridiculous and silly, and he makes as much sense as Mr. Freeze as any of the Mr. Freezes on the Adam West series did. Sure. Yeah, it's obviously it was trying to ride that line between the campy and the the dark, you know. Right. And but it's true. He is a he would have been great for just Bruce Wayne that side of it and have someone else jump into the other half of it. <laughs> just a completely different actor play bad. As long as he's always got the mask on, maybe no one will notice. It's like a, a incredible Hulk from the 80s thing, you know, Bill right, yeah. and Lou Ferrigno. Why not, right? <laughs> 
Stranger things have happened. Yeah. yeah. So again, I mean, obviously that is nobody's favorite movie. Uh, there's a lot of things about it that would need to change for it to be something I ever want to watch again. No, um, I think but... the last time I watched it was on a long chartered bus trip where I had literally no choice. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, we can throw this VHS tape in if people want. It's the only one on the bus. Then you get off the bus. I yeah. guess so, yeah. <laughs> there's always a choice, Brad. So it just tucked and rolled. <laughs> oh, well. So if you're thinking, like, all right, let's take this and make it all the way super campy, yeah. who do we swap out George Clooney for? Like, do we... I think there's one easy answer. Adam West. Adam Pure West. Yeah. Adam West. Pure West. He would have been uh he would have he would have owned that role. He would have he would have owned those nipples. Wouldn't have been fascinating though, yeah, to put him into a modern Batman context you know, and just see what happens. His bat suit had nipples too. They were his, but it did have nipples. Well, cuz it was cloth. It was, you know, yeah. chilly yeah. on set. It just poked through. How old was he when that movie came out? I got to be mid to late 30s, I would guess, right? Oh, you wait, know, no, you got a good stunt, man. Sorry, I thought you meant the original. Uh, no, when, no, no. When Batman Robin came out? Yeah. Let's say 60, 60 something? Well, I mean, it's a tough call. I guess he could have sort of done like the Dark Knight ish kind of Batman, yeah. but. He could have done maybe like a Batman Beyond sort of thing where he was like the older guy and he had a young guy to do all the stunts and fun stuff. All right, that's what Robin was there for. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Chris, Chris O'Donnell? I could see that. I could see Chris that working. Chris O'Donnell as Terry McGinnis. Uh, we're, we're rewriting movie history in a way that feels really good to me. Are you listening, Hollywood? <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, let's get some Yesterday's Enterprise going here and a change. <laughs> everything <laughs> all, right, all right what do we got at number three b-rad all right number three we're gonna go from the superheroes to the classic uh literature i'm gonna go to the kenneth Branagh shakespeare oeuvre Ooh. it's practically its own genre he's done every shakespeare movie and cast himself in all the best roles yeah from mm. hamlet to thor that's right yeah i remember thor uh, shakespeare's thor yeah, yeah. <laughs> Practically. Um, but, but yeah, he basically made his way through a lot of classic Shakespearean pieces. Uh, and then he did uh, Much Ado About Nothing. Came out in 1993. Had a classic 1993 big-name cast. You had Kate Beckinsale, Emma Thompson, Michael Keaton, Denzel Washington. And his brother, Keanu Reeves. Whose brother? Denzel Washington's brother in the movie okay. is played okay. by Keanu Reeves. Now, now, before people start going like, well, you know, creative license and <laughs> racing, it's not a race thing. We're not going to go down that path. Because actually, in the play, he's supposed to be an illegitimate brother. Mm. So that's okay. So, so it's, it's okay, okay that, that doesn't make sense. He can, be a to- he can be anything you want him to be because he's not a, like, bloodline brother. So mm-hmm. casting for race-wise, that's not the issue. Don't get angry in Facebook media. Even in me. uh, Shakespeare, there's a you know there's a lot of history of men playing women and women playing men and all. That yeah, yeah, but that's not what this is about. Right. The, the no. problem here is Keanu Reeves. <laughs> yeah, now, I mean, you got to remember, like, not that Keanu Reeves now is a very serious and well-regarded actor, but he hadn't done things like The Matrix. Um, he had a couple of like indie movies, and he'd done his Bill and Ted's Excellent, Excellent Adventure. Adventure. He had done Point Break, Break by this point, uh, just a couple years prior. But like, so somebody was watching. Speed had speed come out. Speed had not come out yet. Speed came out after that. So somebody was like, "Point Break, that guy should do Shakespeare." (laughs) What a great sounding surfer dude! Let's have him say some of the best lines ever written by the Bard. (laughs) Well, I I got to imagine like it was kind of him trying to you know trying to grow as an actor. Like I just, I got to imagine. Sure, but it's not just it's not up to him to decide. You know what I mean? Like he had to actually sell 
himself to somebody. Somebody un- like convinced them that he was going to do a good job, and he basically just chews every single word in the movie. It is unfortunate. We that- watched some some clips, and uh, he he's. He's especially stilted in this one. And it's not like he's a minor character. He's the main villain. He's the one who's conniving and planning and plotting to tear everybody apart because he feels slighted by his brother. He he really could have dug into it and gone deep and really been a great villain. He just it, didn't. Well, and part of that, I think, I mean, certainly it's not for lack of trying. I mean, which is kind of sort of his <laughs> trademark. He, but he just... He gives it. He stumbles over the language. Yeah. And don't uh-huh. get me wrong, doing Shakespeare is hard. Like that's it's sure. just it's not the way we think about talking anymore. Like, even if you've studied Shakespeare, you're still translating it. You know, we don't really comprehend it anymore. But, but guess... he is surrounded by actors in this movie who do it perfectly naturally. Yeah, like, that's it. I mean, I don't think Shakespeare comes naturally to most of that cast. But they were like, okay, look, if I'm gonna get a dialect coach or I'm gonna work on it, I'm gonna get there to the point where it's at least passable. Well, yeah, whatever they did, and so, like, it's, it's something that's really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you buy it, you hear, like, you stop li- you stop listening to what they're saying and, like, just understand what they're saying. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. Yes. With him, he's, like, I just, he had to have had a teleprompter off camera at all times, because <laughs> he's clearly just reading. That's it. You know, with most Shakespearean performances, if you, if you can't follow the language exactly because you don't have a vast knowledge of... Victorian English, English. the intention is through the way it's delivered. You know that, like, if somebody says hither and thither, but in a certain tone, you're like, oh, they're angry. You know, Mm -hmm. you can figure it out. A great example of this was um, they did another adaptation of Much Ado About Nothing, which was actually Joss Whedon's palate cleanser after Avengers. Avengers. He's like, this was so expensive and so involved and so complicated. I'm going to go back and do a movie that's like me and my friends at my house. We're going to shoot it. In black and white on, like, digital cameras. It's good to be Joss Whedon. <laughs> I mean, yeah. when I say him and his friends, it was, like, Nathan Fillion and, like, you know, it was, like, a pretty good... Yeah, he has like, good friends. ...cast of yeah. people, it you know. It was Buffy the Vampire Slayer convention in his house doing Shakespeare. Pretty much. It was um, Sean Maher? May- yeah. Maher? The, the doctor from Firefly? That's right, yeah. Dr. Simon Tam. He played the same role that Keanu Reeves played. Okay. Um, so I've got that movie in here somewhere. If you want to talk about maybe a better casting choice, that could be, you know... Okay. A one to look at is look at it look at it done a little bit better. And then but it's just something about his like he has a very stereotyped performance. Yeah. Sure. Um like is it almost is it almost like he's like a character actor at this point that it's But yeah, and he gets yeah. he gets cast for that type and it works. Yeah. You know, in in the Matrix movies, especially in the first one, he's kind of like this clueless guy who doesn't realize the wool's being pulled over his eyes. So he walks around in the movie going like yeah, I'll follow the White Rabbit. Whoa, what's going on? Yeah, and it works. Whoa, I don't know where I am. You know? It's the same reason you wouldn't cast Jeff Goldblum in that role. Like, it just because he doesn't play that character. He plays Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And so, again, like, I don't want to knock, you know, like, Keanu's been in more movies than I have. And he's been in great movies, And he's been too. in great movies. It's just that he, he was so out of place in this one. Yeah. It's like him and uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Same problem, where... He sounds like he's just gotten off his surfboard, and yet he's in, you know, 1800s London, and trying so, to put but, on an which, accent. Which, by the way, came out just before he did this movie. Maybe if it had come out a little earlier, it would have been a warning Maybe, maybe Yeah, maybe there was some overlap where they hadn't yet seen the cut yeah. of it to, like, stop Much Ado About Nothing before it went <laughs> off the rails. I don't know. All right, number two, Johnny Depp in The Lone Ranger. Now... We talk about the reasons for miscasting. This was a perfect example of stunt casting. 
Right. You've got a movie, The Lone Ranger. Um, it was the same people who did the Pirates of the Caribbean movies that put this thing together. Right. They've ta- been able to take relatively threadbare origins and make a decent story out of it. The Lone Ranger has a lot of material to draw from. But then they went and cast uh, Army Hammer as the, the lead role. Right. Who, you know, fine actor, great Winklevoss twin in The Social Network. <laughs> from what I've seen of him, he seems certainly capable, but... Someone did a calculation and decided he wasn't going to put enough money. He wasn't going to put butts in seats. As they say. Yeah. So all the marketing, all you ever saw of this movie was Tonto is played by Johnny Depp. Yeah. Right. That's all I knew about it. And, yeah. you know, full makeup. And, you know, he the, went and did these interviews where he said, I think my great aunt is a quarter native. And he did get, like, you know, brought into a tribe and stuff. He did some groundwork to, to, to legitimize it a, a little bit. Sure, but it just, it's the kind of thing where it's a role that, like, it should have been a supporting role. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like a like a co-lead or something like that. But because it's Johnny Depp in that role, it's like he just completely eclipsed everything else in the movie. Okay. Yeah. And, and like, you don't really, it's not because he can't carry it. It's just because it all revolved around him. Mm. It's, <sighs> it was like, you know, they went to a test screening at some point and they said, more Johnny Depp. There's not enough. Can we just make every shot a shot of Johnny Depp and there's another guy out of focus in the background? Yeah, Johnny Depp's really big right now. Let's just make this the Johnny Depp movie. It's the same thing that really happened to Pirates of the Caribbean, if you look at it. To my mind, it didn't happen early enough with Pirates of the Caribbean because he was the only thing carrying that franchise. He was the reason I went to see more than one of those movies. Right, but I mean, the first movie, at least it's like Captain Jack and other interacts with other characters. After a while, it was just like the Captain Jack show and, oh yeah, there's somebody else back there. The same thing happened with this one. It was just the Johnny Depp show doing his thing. Some people were offended, but that's another story about something else. I don't want to get into that. Just It just wasn't, they didn't cast the right person, and then they didn't use him right to make the best story they could. They used him right to try and sell the most tickets they could. Mm. Which, to be fair, in the end is the goal that they're going for. Like, right. The point of this business is to be a business. Got it. I know, it's the film industry, and yeah, we all want to make money, but can't we make money by also telling good stories? Like, I mean, this is what happened with... The whole Deadpool thing, where it's like, let's put as many X-Men into an X-Men movie as possible and not worry if we treat them right. Right. You know so what I mean? He was talking about Wolverine Origins, the first appearance of Deadpool. Yeah, it was like, let's. who cares if we get to tell the story that people want to see or get the characters right that people love? It's like, let's just get butts in seats. And it's like, yeah, okay, we can work towards that as a goal as an industry, but I think that it's eventually people are going to get tired and sick of it and they're going to walk away. You know, it's going to be angry yawns, basically. I mean, I like I like what you're getting at, because that's definitely my reaction, but The Lone Ranger, as I recall, I mean, like, critically, it didn't do so good, but it made the money back. Well, sure, but I mean, uh, Batman and Robin made money, you know? Yeah. And, and, like, a lot of these movies... The franchise. A lot of these movies we're talking about made money. Like, let's put it this way. Didn't ruin Clooney's career, that movie. No. Didn't no. destroy Batman forever. It, that was, Batman forever. That was before. <laughs> no. But you know, but, you know I mean, what I mean? Like, but Graham, nobody, nobody died. No franchise or, or career died because of this movie. Well, really. Graham has a point. There was a big gap in Batman for a while after that. Now, yeah. now, the Lone Ranger not being part of a franchise, really, and I don't think it ever would have been. Well, you, you better believe they would have done a second one yeah. almost right away. To go back, like when we, I was doing a little bit of research before this this recording. Um, there's lots of talk online about doing like a straight Venom movie, like just the just the Venom character. You know what I right. mean? So. 
when they screw up a character, usually there's like an outcry from the fan base, like Let, we want to see you do it right mm-hmm. or not do it at all. But are the fans there for that for the Lone Ranger? I don't think so. You know, the last time before this, there have been some terrible other like TV movies, and the last time it was actually a popular character was what the fifties, the sixties, maybe. Yeah, I mean, like I'm like I'm not arguing. I agree. Casting Johnny Depp here like ruined what that movie could have been. But I don't know that that you know what that movie could have been would have been such a golden egg. It's right. it's impossible for us to say because who in the day would have said, "Oh man, that ride at Disney World where you ride the boats past some pirates that shake back and forth with animatronics it would make a great movie." Yeah, yeah, I think in the right hands, just about anything can be good. But maybe making the Lone Ranger a Tonto movie wasn't necessarily the right way to go with this one. No, is it, would it be like? You make a Batman movie, and then you get there, and Batman's in it for, like, 15 minutes, and the rest of it's Robin shooting around. It's like, does anyone want to go see a I, Robin I, solo movie? I, I gotta be honest, if it's a Rob, like, it becomes a Nightwing movie, I'm not actually entirely against that. <laughs> like, especially, like, like, like a uh, Damian Wayne kind of thing. I'd, I'd really go watch this movie. You're but it's a Robin's here, just to... Well, the, but the... It, it doesn't have to... Like, you can, it's a movie. You can make it whatever you like. But if you they can't. if they promoted it as a Batman Right, I would, movie, yeah, I would be yeah. disappointed. If I went to go see Batman and Batman was barely in it, I would be irritated. That's true. Okay, so, what's uh, what do you got at number one? Oh, it's a juicy one. It's one that, well, it didn't kill a career. It moved a career in a direction that just irked me and like made me lose a lot of respect for the actor okay and i don't know if it's the movie that did it to him or if he kind of made a choice before the movie that he wanted to go this way and this was just the first in a long line of bad choices the first domino yeah so it's robert de niro you know classic amazing incredible actor if there was like a hall of fame of hollywood actors he'd, he'd be in there right sure but, I mean, when you think back to a classic De Niro role, where does your mind go? Taxi Driver. Taxi Driver. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. That's It's just so iconic. Yeah. It's it's impossible to picture that movie without him in it. Like that, It's all about the role of that character yeah. that he carried so well, so different from anything else I'd ever seen mm-hmm. the first time I saw Taxi Driver. That's it. I mean, his comfort in the silences, um, you know, the minimalism of, of what he was able to put out there, that sort of anger and burning underneath so what if i told you he then decided eventually that he wanted to do a movie which would basically kill the memory of that performance for anyone who watched it who was i guess an adult and had seen taxi driver previously the movie is the rocky and bullwinkle movie right and he was cast in the role so so rocky and bullwinkle if you don't remember moose and squirrel fighting against the soviets yeah, basically. The, that was the era. Yeah. yeah. So it was Boris and Natasha, very pastiche, like very like two dimensional Soviet. It was spy. a cartoon. Yeah, yeah. It was it, like you know there was it was just everything on its face. But so Boris and Natasha reported to fearless leader, whose name was literally fearless leader. That's right. all they ever referred to him as. And so Robert De Niro took on the role of fearless leader in this movie. A lot of. You know, celebrity cameos and stuff like that. But, but for reasons unknown. I hope he got paid a lot. In a, in an interview after the fact, he literally just said, it was fun. He had fun. He just got to the age where he's like, I want to do something fun and funny. But he does a line in the movie that they must have obviously written after he was cast, where as fearless leader in a thick accent and a monocle, he turns to the camera and says, are you talking to me? Right. He, he does, he does the whole speech. He does yeah. the whole thing from beginning to end. 
from Taxi Driver, but as Fearless Leader yeah. in this ridiculous child movie. <laughs> Targeting the niche audience of children, you know, who really liked Taxi Driver and also really liked Rocky and Bullwinkle. Right. Yeah. Now... <laughs> <laughs> it's so bizarre. This is not a stunt casting because the audience for Rocky and Bullwinkle I don't think overlaps with the audience for Robert De Niro. The movie made less than half of its actual budget. Do you think he was cast in the same way that, you know, Animaniacs had jokes aimed at the parents in the audience? Is it like so that, you know, when mom and dad take the kids there, they can be like, oh, look, it's Robert De Niro. I know who that but is. But would they care that it's Robert? Like, it's it's not Robert De Niro in a Robert De Niro role. I, it's yeah. Robert De Niro as a cartoon. I right. would like to think that that was the case, but it also was the beginning. I mean, he had done Analyze This just, like, previously, and that was, like, kind of his only foray into comedy. But even there, he was kind of the tough straight man. Yeah. You know, he kind of was just a foil for Billy Crystal. Um, Still funny. Yeah, good work if you can get him. Sure. But, like, after this, it was like the, the Avalanche you know started rolling down the hill it was just like he was in shark tale you know he was in like he started doing the meet the fockers movies he started doing all of these like things where he obviously thought he was being really funny but most of the time he's just awkward yeah it's funny because it's robert de niro trying to be funny yeah yeah i mean you know it, it goes back to like a like a simpsons quote which i can draw <laughs> upon at the moment's notice pretty much any quote but um <laughs> It's only funny if the guy getting the pie in the face is dignified. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, the whole point of De Niro being funny plays on the fact that he was, like, a serious actor, you know, and something fun. He was in a funny situation. He was playing up that notion that he was serious. But now, there's none of that left. All of my memory of of De Niro and his classic (laughs) roles is tainted by just bad comedy after bad comedy after bad comedy. And this was the one that started it. It was Rocky and Bullwinkle. Which is weird, like... It doesn't sort of match our other ones on this list because it's not like I can think of someone who would do a better fearless leader because hmm. who cares? Yeah. Because, like, like, really, it should have been just anybody doing the role, just playing as, like, the way they need to play it and it's done. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or at least a, yeah. a comedian or someone with comedic sensibilities. Yeah. The fact that they did the Taxi Driver tribute yeah. says that they didn't have a character here. Right. Uh, what they had was an excuse to do something silly with Robert De Niro. I mean, for all we know, this was like a two-line role, and then they were like, hey, we can get De Niro for this. And right. they're like, oh, write, write some more lines, get some more dialogue in there. Yeah, it's, it's hard to say without knowing exactly what the thought process was beforehand, but you, you clearly, you don't rewrite a character's dialogue to suit your actor unless there's no character there. Like, True enough. The yeah. only thing they had to sell here was Robert De Niro, and it just is such a strange decision. Another odd choice in that is uh, Renee Russo is Natasha. I mean, she's another actor who is better known for dramatic roles, and it's like, I don't know, with a movie this silly and over the top, why not just fill it with comedians? Yeah, and, and then comedians are pretty funny. Yeah. It's sort of their bit. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like... <laughs> These are, like, dramatic roles that you need someone with a pedigree to, to work, you know? Yeah. Jason Alexander played Boris. Now, that was good casting. But again, you can do it. You part. can put a serious actor in a comedy in the right context. Like, I think mm-hmm. of, like, Wayne's World. In the, I think it's the second Wayne's World, where he's, like, he's talking to a gas station attendant, and he turns to the camera and breaks the fourth wall, and he says, I know this is a minor role, but couldn't we get a better actor for this? And I think they walk in Charlton Heston. Yeah. Comes in and starts <laughs> delivering this line. And like brings the brings uh, Mike Myers Wayne to, to tears in the scene, <laughs> and it's just totally playing off the fact that it's like, look, it's a serious actor stepping in doing a serious mm-hmm. thing, but in the context of comedy, 
you know, you can sort of step back and laugh right. at the logic of it. And it's also one gag. Then it's over, and they move yeah. on with the rest that's right. of the movie. Yeah. Because that, that's one joke. Yeah. A serious actor doing something funny, then it's over. It's not funny over the course of an entire movie. Yeah. Yeah. There are exceptions. There are people who can walk the, both lines. Jeff Daniels seems to be able to pull it off. He does uh, some great serious work, and then he's amazing in Dumb and Dumber. You know, there are guys who can pull it off, and, and women, but... Uh, I don't know that Robert De Niro is one of them. No. I mean, on the other side of things, you've got people like Jack Black, who can't go the other way. He was a very funny guy, and has tried some serious stuff over time, and it just never quite sells. You know, he was yeah. in King Kong. Right. And, you know, you've got him delivering the was beauty that killed the beast. And you just, you're like, stop screwing your face up like that. Like, <laughs> like stop that. You're just, you're trying to... Again, like, I, I, he's, a, he's a character actor at this point. He plays Jack Black and yeah, everything that he right. does. And there's nothing wrong with that because there's a market, or at least there yeah. was, for Jack Black-type guys, you know? Right. And that's it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that was our guest segment for today. Special thanks and round of applause for Brad Dworkin. Yeah. Um, Brad, people are, I mean, you're actually a real director. You've got lots of stuff. People want to find some stuff from you. Is there anywhere they can go? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you can go to braddworkin.com. You guys can post that on your social many things. Definitely. Um, and if you were interested, I just made a documentary for the CBC that I would love for everyone to come and check out. Uh, it's called Wi-Fi, and it's about the funny names people give to their wireless internet networks. I think um, you should spell that out. W-H-Y-F-I. F-I. So it's a bad pun and a joke uh, that I find funny and probably not many other people. It's okay. Bad puns are welcome here. So yes. check it out now. cbc.ca slash shortdocs. It's right there. All right. You've got it. Thanks again to Brad Dworkin. Be sure to check him out. Uh, you've been listening to Geek Top 5. Special thanks to Ben Sound, to Stella Simeonova, and to all the you know, folks at Sea. Uh, you want to get in touch with us, you want to send anything in, uh, you're all over the internet like a Donald Trump headline. Um, people can find us all over the Facebook, the Twitters, what do we got? Yeah, it's, uh, you can email us at geektop5 at gmail.com. You can go to facebook.com slash geektop5. And we're also at geektop5 on Twitter. You got something we'd love to hear from you. And in the meantime, stay tuned. We'll be back to you with the next episode soon. 